Howell Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's energy-efficient windows keep the cold outside where it belongs, lowering energy bills. Get 0% interest up to the year 2029 if you book by January 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Eric Bilstadt was just telling you that the Mark Jensen retrial is going on and closing arguments are taking place as we speak. It is possible that the jury could get this case later this afternoon. If not, they'll certainly get it tomorrow. This is this is a tough one because I think if you have if you've been following this, Mark Jensen was convicted in 2008, 14, 15 years ago, of killing his wife Julie Jensen in their Pleasant Prairie home. That the the murder, at least the alleged murder, occurred in 1998. Prosecutors say he poisoned her with antifreeze, drugged her, and then smothered her. Uh, Jensen, through his defense, has always maintained that, that she actually killed herself and tried to frame him with this. He was convicted in 2008, and the most powerful piece of evidence that they, they had was statements that she made. She told a friend, she told police that, hey, if something happens to me, it's, it's Mark that, that did this. And that was introduced at the 2008 trial um, through a whole series of appeals. Ultimately, those statements were tossed out. So this is a, a retrial, and the prosecution can't use her beyond the grave statements against him. So you have a case which is entirely circumstantial. I, I, I don't know how the jury is going to react to this. I think part of it depends on the forensic testimony that's there um, because obviously if you kill yourself you're, you're not going to smother yourself with with a pillow so I, I think that's going to be the question you know has the state been able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt first of all that there was in fact a, a murder um, that occurred and then you kind of go from there but it's an entirely circumstantial case which in and of itself doesn't doesn't mean anything. I mean, people say, oh, it's circumstantial evidence. Well, circumstantial evidence can be incredibly compelling, but it's very, very, it's very, very difficult. This case was always a difficult prosecution, and certainly to retry it 15 years later, it, it hasn't, I don't think, gotten any easier. The other interesting thing, and I just, I just throw this out there, and this is as somebody who, who tried over 100 federal criminal cases, I, I'm always intrigued by the presumption of innocence. Uh, juries are instructed. It is a matter of law that under the Fifth Amendment, you can't be compelled to testify against yourself. So defendants have an absolute right not to testify. And jurors are told specifically the fact that a defendant chose not to testify, you cannot hold that against them. And it's solely the burden on the state or the, the federal government to have to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. So that, that's what they're told, and that's as a matter of law. I, I've, always, I've always wondered what goes on in the back of jurors' minds in cases like that because I think there is a natural reaction which would say, if I was accused of doing something and I didn't do it, I was innocent. I'd be up on that witness stand saying, I'm innocent. I did not do this. 
Um, and so even though, again, people are, are told appropriately so that you can't consider it and that they shouldn't consider it, I, I just always wonder what goes on in the back of people's minds when defendants make the decision that they are not going to testify. And they have no obligation to do that and anything like that. But, you know, you can tell jurors that stuff and tell jurors that. And in the back of my mind, I always think, oh, by you know, I think jurors probably think, well, you know, if if you said that I stole that car and I didn't steal that car, you betcha I'd be out there saying I didn't steal the car. Don't know how this case is going to um, turn out. Mark Jensen has been in prison um, since since his conviction. So if there were an acquittal, he he would, in fact, um, be released probably immediately. Speaking of stolen cars, I want to pick up where we left off the, after the 12 o'clock hour of the program yesterday. And I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record on this, but my frustration continues to grow. We have an epidemic of car theft in this area. We have a r- epidemic of reckless driving. Nobody, it seems, stops for the police anymore. I mean, I could probably give you five or six stories a day in southeastern Wisconsin in general, and in Milwaukee in particular, but let's expand it to southeastern Wisconsin, where the story is the police go to pull somebody over, they don't pull over, they flee at a high rate of speed, and half the time, you know, they're involved in an automobile collision. This happens not once or twice, it happens routinely. I think it happens so routinely that it really is getting to the point now where it only makes the news if in the process of fleeing police or driving recklessly or whatever, you hit and you kill somebody. Which brings me to the story. Yesterday afternoon, about 1 o'clock, yet another person, a 65-year-old Milwaukee man, died on the mean streets of Milwaukee. 1 p.m., not 1 a.m., 1 p.m. It happened near 27th and Valite. What happened is, apparently there is a car containing a number of individuals that was stolen the stolen car was speeding. This was not a police chase. This was just a bunch of punks, thugs, thieves, criminals, low lives, fill in the blank, who are speeding in a stolen car heading southbound on 27th Street. The driver of the stolen car blows through a red light and smashes into a car that had the right of way that was in the intersection going westbound on Valite, if you can picture that. The driver of the car, 26-year-old man, that's the driver. Now, the, the way the impact occurred is the impact occurred hit the passenger side. So the stolen car smashes into the passenger side. The driver, 26-year-old guy, is hospitalized. The passenger, a 65-year-old man, dies at the scene. And, and we don't have the follow-up as to whether... There, the, you know, what the relationship was, if any, besides the passenger to the the 65 year old man and the 26 year old. We don't know if this is father and son or if it's grandfather and so Don't don't know any of, of that. 65 year old man is dead simply because he was riding in a car and happened to be at one o'clock in the afternoon in the intersection of 27th and Valite, where yet another group of criminals, thugs, lowlifes, fill in the blank, with no regard for human life, blows through a red light in a stolen car and hits and kills him. Now, again, as often happens too, just like when you are 
I don't know, in, in that apartment that has the cockroaches and you walk into the kitchen in the middle of the night and you turn the light on and all the cockroaches scatter. Well, that's what happened with these cockroaches because yesterday, as soon as the impact occurs, okay, the driver of the car that's hit, He's going to be in the hospital. The 65-year-old man is in the morgue, but the speeding stolen car, the passenger, everybody in that car is not hurt. They apparently get out of the car and run just like the cockroaches they are. And so they are at large right now. Will the police catch them? Won't they? I, I sure hope so, but you just, you never know for sure. The dazzling, I guess, detail of this is that according to the Milwaukee police, this 65-year-old man who died yesterday is at least the eighth person to die so far this year from a crash in the city of Milwaukee. Now, we're not talking about Milwaukee County. We're not adding all that in. We're not talking about southeastern Wisconsin. The city of Milwaukee, and this is, what, the last day of January. So as of yesterday, he's the eighth person to die in an automobile crash um, this year. And I think that probably includes the hit-and-run driving as well. Let's put this in perspective. We are on a pace in the city of Milwaukee to have damn near 100 people killed just in the city of Milwaukee in automobile accidents. Now, we're not, we're not even talking about the other the 200-plus the that will die in shootings or anything like that. We're just talking about a 100 killed on the roadways. And, you know, the truth of the matter is a goodly percentage, I'm not sure I can say 50%, but a goodly percentage are going to be exactly this type of crap. You know, somebody driving the stolen car or driving recklessly or whatever smashes in, kills somebody, and then gets out like the cockroach they are and flees. All right, the mayor hasn't been able to do anything. mayor doesn't even talk about this anymore. They want it to go away. Nobody on the Common Council talks about this anymore. No state representatives from the area. No state senators. The police chief doesn't talk about this anymore because nobody is willing to take the steps that you need to confront the problem and to deal with it. So people driving, innocent people driving through intersections at 1 o'clock in the afternoon continue to take their lives into their hands. Now, this comes on the wave of what we did talk about in the 12 o'clock hour of the program yesterday, where the police announced, hey, we, we essentially can't keep you safe if you come down to the entertainment district. You know, um, there's been a rash of people being robbed. There's been a rash of car break-ins. So our advice is try to park in a spot that's got some lighting to it, presumably so the, the bad guys can, can see better when they attack you and, and mug you. But that's the response that is coming out here. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Until authorities show that they can get some sort of handle on this, my question is, do you think it's safe to travel in the city of Milwaukee? And I understand that is a big statement to say, but tell that to the 65-year-old man who is now in the morgue because he just happened to have the audacity to be riding as a passenger in a car at 1 o'clock yesterday afternoon driving with the light on Valite. 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. I'm telling you something. Until authorities get a handle on this, maybe the best advice people can give is just stay out of the city. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 
855-616-1620. I am sorry, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but if you can't tell, my, my level of frustration is up to here. As eight people killed just in the city of Milwaukee alone this month, not by gunfire, but in traffic deaths. 65-year-old man dies um, yesterday, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, when a stolen car driven recklessly by a bunch of low-life punks, thugs, whatever, runs through a red light, hits and kills him. They all get out and run. They are at large, don't know if they're going to be caught. We're going to talk about the the one-year-old child that died Friday night in the automobile crash after that car was stolen in a little bit. But uh, the mayor doesn't have any ideas. The legislature, the, the common council doesn't have any ideas. They don't even, we don't even talk about this. We don't even mention this anymore. There's no effort to try to hold these people who do this accountable in a meaningful fashion. And until then, maybe the only advice is if you care for your personal safety, stay the heck away. Because I don't think anybody can guarantee eight, we're on pace for close to a hundred traffic deaths in the city of Milwaukee. I mean, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Jeff in Waukesha. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, I don't go into the city of Milwaukee unless I absolutely have to. Uh, maybe once a month, and I get in and I get out, and I am extremely cautious going through an intersection. Traffic lights down there, just because you have a green light, mean nothing. And, you know, yeah, the city leader's got to be involved in this, but the group that continues to fly under the radar, and I don't know why our city leaders and the media don't call them out, and that's our judicial system, our judges. Yeah. They keep yeah. letting these people out on the street, and they pretty much are left alone to do it. When are when yeah. are people going to wake up? When are our city leaders going to wake up? When are our state legislators going to wake up? When is the media going to wake up and start putting the onus on where it should be, our judicial system? Jeff, thanks for the call, and I, I couldn't, I, I could not agree with you more. And, and this is, I mean, one of the big problems here is okay, now somebody's dead. So this becomes a, a priority. All right, now we're going to, I would assume that this is going to be a priority to try to catch the people that were in the stolen car because somebody is dead. But why do we have to wait until somebody dies before we do this? Because my guess is when they catch the people that, assuming they are, that were in that stolen car, as I frequently say, it's not going to be the first time at the rodeo. My guess is they have been stealing cars for months, maybe years, and driving them in this fashion. It's just that they've never hit and killed somebody. Somebody before. If we catch these people and we put them in jail to begin with, that, assuming there is a prior record, and again, maybe it's a big assumption, but I don't think that's too much of a step. If they did that, that 65-year-old guy would be alive today. But I agree with you. Where is the bully pulpit? Where is the pressure on the district attorney to issue charges in reckless driving cases? This is one, and I've argued this before, reckless driving, by the way, is a not it's not a criminal offense unless you hit and kill somebody or cause serious bodily injury. That's where the legislature can come in, as I've been arguing for the last several months. Treat it like drunk driving. Maybe the first reckless driving you treat it as an ordinance violation, and after that, it is a crime, and you go to prison if you do it. How many more people have to die before we're willing to wake up and recognize what the problem um, is? Jeff, I do not feel safe at downtown at all, and my future visits will be very limited. This could well mean no Bucks games and no Summerfest unless someone I really like comes. Well, I, I mean... There are things you can do. You drive down, you be very careful, you know, coming through intersections, and then, you know, you park in some sort of secured lot. But this idea of just driving down there is, um, I don't know. I, I just, your people are dying on a regular basis. 
Um, let's see, Jeff, carjacked with five kids and a pregnant sister in 2017. Haven't been back to Milwaukee since. Um, yeah, well, you've got that. Jeff, these crashes are on the streets with posted speed limits of 30 minutes, miles an hour or lower. Um, right. Um, no question about this. Jeff, I've stated this a few times uh, over the last year. I lived in Milwaukee a few years back and enjoyed many social events such as Summerfest, Brewers, etc. We live in the Fox Valley now. My family and most of our friends will not go to Milwaukee. Way too dangerous. We spend our top money elsewhere. P.S. Cavalier is doing a great job. Not. Well, where, where is the mayor? I mean, it, it really does sound like the, the new mayor is a lot like the old mayor. Tom Barrett had, he, he lost ideas. He had no clue. He was burned out. So we get new leadership in. Okay, where where is that leadership? Where is the outrage? Where is the enough is enough? I mean, seriously, how many more cars have to be stolen? How many more people have to be injured? How many more people have to die before we recognize that, you know, this is a huge problem? Jeff, um, it is so sad. It's true. We can't drive in parts of the city anymore. Well, it's, this is 27th and Valite. Um, no question about it. Jeff, I think city officials should be, should be shocked on the amount of tourism dollars they're missing out on. It's just too dangerous to travel to the city. We used to go to the museums, the domes, several restaurants in and around the city, but we no longer go to Milwaukee for the surrounding cities. I only travel that way to fly out of town. Um, Jeff, just by saying don't come to Milwaukee because you can die should catch the attention of business or politicians. Well, that's that's the thing. Where is the business community with this as well? If I were the business community, I would be up in arms about this. I, I, this idea that we're going to lay this problem off on the business community. Well, you know, you, you have to have secured parking and things like that. That's fair enough. But where, where, where is the outrage in the business community saying, hey, we, we're paying our taxes. You know, we're, we're being asked to do all this redevelopment and stuff, and, and we're trying to bring back areas of the city. And, and yet you, the politicians, you, the law enforcement people, you, the prosecutors, you, the judges, are doing absolutely little or nothing to keep people safe. I mean, seriously. Jeff, I haven't been back to Milwaukee since Game 6 in 2021. I feel worse now. Um, well, I think there is the element of that as well. Um in July, we have thousands of Harleys that will be in town. They don't know the city. Well, I think the Harley riders can probably take care of themselves. Um, Jeff, someone tried to steal my car with myself, an infant in the back at Walgreens at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday. Um, after that, my guard has always been up. Jeff, where's all the liberals who cry for gun bans? Um, they should be calling for car bans. It's human violence causing both due to no accountability. Well, there is an element of of that there's an element the mayor and the police chief have said we can't arrest our way out of this that's a direct quote sure you can sure you can i look and i think there's all sorts of other stuff that goes along root causes and all that but i'm just saying how many poor people have to die before we collectively say enough is enough and here another person dead this story is unfortunately as bad, if not worse, than the first story that, that we talked about. It's the one-year-old who was killed in the car crash Friday night. If you haven't been following this story, what happens is 
It's about 1130 at night. Mom lives on the northwest side of Milwaukee. She's got her infant son, 13-month-old. He's strapped in a car seat that is in the back of her vehicle. But the, the car seat isn't secured to the vehicle. So, I mean, he's in the car seat, but the car seat's not belted in. All right? She's at her house. She, for whatever reason, she forgets something. She needs to run in to pick something up. Okay, so it's cold on Friday night. It's late. Instead of unbundling the child, I don't know if the child was sleeping or whatever, instead of taking him out of his car seat and taking him with her while she runs in to retrieve something, she leaves the child momentarily in the back seat of the car. Well, on the mean streets of Milwaukee, you apparently can't leave a car unattended at all. So she goes in. I do not know if she left the car running or not. I, I don't. But she, she runs in to the house. In the short period of time that she is in the house, a 31-year-old woman and other people come along and steal the, the car. So they, they drive off in the car. And I presume that at the time they did not know that there was a kid in the back seat of the car. So mom has run in for a moment. In that moment that she's in there, the car is now stolen. So then you have the, the stolen car, which is heading down the street um, with 31-year-old woman who is driving it. I think there's other people in the car as well. They get about two miles away from where the car was stolen. They believe that the stolen car with the child in the back, is speeding. It crashes into another vehicle in the 4200 block of North 35th Street. Now, now follow me here. So the stolen car with the kid, the child in the back, slams into a minivan, okay? The people in the minivan get out, and like cockroaches, they flee. And I think the news is going to come out and show that the minivan was stolen. So you have a, a stolen car with this child in the back, slams into another car that I believe was also stolen. So anyhow, the people in the minivan, they flee like the cockroaches they are. The 31-year-old, um, she is injured, she's hospitalized, and she is arrested. I believe um, that um, other people that might have been in the car with her, they they flee. I think that there might have been other people in the car. But, of course, the, the, the tragedy here is the one-year-old child who was in the car seat but not completely restrained, the child is killed in the crash. So now the, the 31-year-old is in the hospital. She will be charged. Presumably she will go to prison for a long, long period of time. But that doesn't bring the one-year-old kid back. It, it doesn't bring the one-year-old kid back. And I, I made reference to this yesterday. I got a couple interesting responses to it, uh, including including a couple people who say, well, you know, how could mom have left the child unattended at all in the car? And I guess my thinking on this is, let's let's be honest. I mean, how many people, okay, it's a situation where it's at night, maybe the kid's sleeping in the back seat. You've got to run into the car, into your house for a, a moment to do something. Shouldn't we be able to expect that you can leave your vehicle unattended for a couple of minutes without having it stolen? And how did we get to the point in a community where you can't do that 
because there are so many thieves that are out there just waiting to see an unattended car on a cold Friday night, waiting for the opportunity to to rip it off. How did we get to that point, and how do we continue to live in a place like that where you you can't you can't leave a car unattended at all because it's going to be stolen? And in this case, you've got the small child in the back seat, and now that child is dead as a result of what would happen with the car thief and the way the car thief was driving and the collision. But at some point in time. Don't we need to collectively say we don't want to live like this anymore? We we don't we're, we we refuse to accept having to live in an area where if you don't lock your doors you should expect to be robbed. If you don't take your child in, you can't leave the kid in the car for even two minutes because that child could be gone because there's so many thieves that are out there. We we get the communities that we tolerate. That is the Old National Bank talk and text line. Look, my heart goes out to this mom. And I guess if there's going to be outrage here, I think the outrage needs to be directed at the criminal, the 31-year-old who stole the car, then drove away at a high rate of speed and smashed into someone else. That is the underlying problem, that you can't, you can't leave stuff unattended, that the criminal element has gotten so bold that they are willing to steal anything they want whenever they want. And until citizens start to say enough is enough and begin the process of trying to take back their community, and I'm not talking about vigilantism, I am talking about collective outrage and putting pressure on elected officials and judges and DAs, we're going to continue to have a situation where I would describe it as Escape from New York, but Escape from New York was just a movie. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line we discuss in a moment. One of our texters says, Jeff, how does it feel being that one voice crying out in the wilderness? This is truly sad. Um, it, 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 you do feel that way sometimes. And I, I just, it is, it is mind-boggling me that, that people in this community tolerate this. And, and, and they do. I mean, I'm looking at the stories on TV, and you've got some of the neighbors saying, hey, this happens all the time, and, and it's just really terrible. But, but nobody does anything about it. We, we tolerate this type of stuff. You tolerate cars being unlocked for a couple minutes, and people, we just take it as normal that if you leave your car unlocked for a couple minutes, somebody's going to steal it. And, and, you know, it's it's a cold Friday night, and if you just, you're running into your house for just a moment, well, you've got the kid in the back seat. You should just assume that that car is not going to be there when you come back, and that means you should take the child along. I mean, how did we get to this stage? And why do we continue to tolerate it? Why does the community put up with this kind of stuff, for want of a better word? Dawn and McGuanago. Dawn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi. What I, do you think? I guess my point is I don't have the exact answer as to how to get over some of this crime in the city. Um, however, I mean, I can tell you that I've left my infant son in the car while I ran some groceries in the house, but it was in my attached garage in the suburb. Totally different, mm-hmm. unfortunately. When our neighbor had their car stolen in the middle of winter, sitting right outside their back door, as they run in the house to get something, that was time to get out of the city. It's unfortunate, but it's, I don't know how to change it. They do have a lot of nerve taking people's vehicles, though. I, I just, you know, it, it's just, it, look, and, and I understand the police say, okay, well, don't, 
don't, don't warm up your car. I, I mean, and, and that's that don't leave your car in the driveway. Don't leave it running to warm it up. And I understand on the one hand that is good advice. It makes sense. But I guess to me, Dawn, the question becomes, how did we get to that point where crime is just so very out of control that you you can't do that? You can't warm up your car in your own driveway for five minutes on a cold you know, Friday morning or a, on a cold Friday evening because somebody's going to come along and steal it. I mean, how, who wants to live like that, for goodness sakes? It's sad. That's why I did get out of the city. Again, I hate to say that, but high taxes in the city of Milwaukee, and I can't let my car run for two minutes? Sorry, well, no. Right. I mean, we were in the right. southwest portion of Well, we weren't even in the terrible neighborhoods. We were in the good neighborhood, as they call it, surrounded by green fields, decent places. But even then, the, the crime got to be too much. It was time to get out, and it's sad. It really is. We all work right. hard uh, for what we have. And oh, yeah, absolutely. No, th- thanks for the call. And, and and look, I mean, I, I understand in retrospect, and I've got a couple people who are kind of victim blaming. Well, the mother shouldn't have left the child unattended. O- okay, I, yes, in a perfect world, I get it. But on the other hand, you can easily see how this happens. It's it's late. At, it's a Friday night. You've got the child's probably asleep in the car seat, and so the question is: Okay, do you? All right, the kid's asleep. I've just got to run into the house for a minute or two, a couple minutes. I got to grab something. Remember, we had that story not that long ago where the woman, same thing happened. Woman ran in to grab her cell phone, and in the time that it took her to get into the house before she could get back, somebody had come along and stolen the the car. So I, I understand in a perfect. In a perfect world with perfect people, no, it's Friday night, it's 11 o'clock at night, it's cold, the kid is sleeping in the back, you got to run into your house, you would get out of your car, you would take the kid out of the car seat, you would wake him up, you would haul him in, you would grab it, you would bring him back, you would re-put him in the car seat. I understand in a perfect world that's what you do, but but you shouldn't have to do that. That's, I think, the, the larger point. You know, you should not have to do that. You should be able to leave a child in a car for example, you know, for a couple minutes while you run into the house without fear that the car is going to be stolen. I mean, shouldn't you? Isn't that the, the larger issue? And, and yes, you, you are correct. And I'm sure this mother for the rest of her life will be beating herself up that she didn't bring the kid in. But to me, again, the bigger question is, why should she have had to do that? Let's talk to Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you? Hi, Chris. Um, we have uh, two therapeutic bulldogs that do therapy work and that type of thing. So when we go to a hospital or a VA, we, you know, leave the uh, truck on with the air. And, you know, it's always, are they going to take the truck with the dog? You know, it's so sad. I mean, yeah. you know, I guess it's just, you know, You know, I mean, we're doing a service, you know, and it's just so sad. You know, I mean, do you want to take the dog in the car? I'd rather give you the car or the truck and not the dog. I mean, it's just so sad. It it is. Thanks for the call, Chris. And I, I guess I'm. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that can be done to deal with this, but it starts with accountability. It starts with we have we have normalized this type of behavior. I guess that's the best way I could say it. We, we've normalized it because it's become so prevalent. It's it's normal. 
apparently in, among a certain group of individuals to, to see a car that's unattended and steal it without regard for, you know, whether there's kids in the car or what. It's normal for people to drive at 80 miles an hour and 30 mile an hour zones and blow through, you know, red lights. It's normal to flee from the police. We have normalized this because it happens on a daily basis, sometimes on multiple occasions. So to me, the question becomes, how did we get to that stage? And and is is this really what we want to accept as the new normal? And again, we all have different ideas as to how we we can deal with this. But I guess my, my vision is a community where criminals behavior is not normal where this is the exception where people learn that there's going to be consequences for this type of behavior and if that means we've got to build a bunch of prisons and we've got to again this idea that you can't arrest your way out of it well we can't not arrest our way out of it you can't incarcerate your way out of this we can't not incarcerate our way out of it because the answer is as long as we look the other way and tolerate this and normalize this stuff what happens one-year-old kids die. 65-year-old men die. Cars get stolen. Cars get vandalized. Law-abiding citizens become victims over and over and over again. And that, to me, should be absolutely, totally unacceptable. Here's a text. Jeff, lived in Milwaukee for 40 years. When my kids were little, I would leave them sleeping in the car, run my groceries in, and let them sleep. Wouldn't do it now, of course. Boy, times have changed. Yep, they have, and not for the better. Jeff, where are the protests for the child? Did the child's life not matter? That's kind of an interesting point as well. I mean, over the weekend, you had in Milwaukee a number of people who took to the streets protesting the death at the hands of police of the young man in in Memphis. Perfectly fine. Protests were, were peaceful. No problem at all with that. But you do wonder, where where are the protests? Where are the protests standing up saying, you know, we are outraged. We demand that something happen because of all the car thefts or all the people who are dying. The 65-year-old guy who died yesterday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon as a passenger when the stolen car hits him. Where Where is the community outrage over that? Where are the protests? Where are the organizers? Take to the streets. March down to City Hall. Say, we demand that you do something about the crime that is running rampant and directly affecting the quality of life of people who live in the city. Where Where is that collective outrage as well, as opposed to another day, another series of people running from the police in stolen cars, people being injured, people being killed? Where is the collective community outrage? Maybe it's time to, you know, if you want to affect meaningful change, maybe it's time to start, you know, focusing the protests on things like that, holding elected officials' feet to the fire, protesting outside judges' homes, protesting outside the DA's office, saying, why aren't we doing more to deal with this? Where's the plan? Where's the solution? And until that happens, until there is community outrage, I I guarantee you, Things aren't going to get better, and all indications are they are getting worse. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. 
All right, so you got the Super Bowl coming up in, in less than two weeks. I, I want you to think back to last year's Super Bowl. Not not the game, but, but the commercials. And last year, it seems to me like almost every third commercial was some celebrity touting cryptocurrency. You know, you had the, the ads featuring Larry David, the guy from Seinfeld, and remember he was – they, they had these ads that were like mocking people who didn't believe in cryptocurrency. It was kind of like, well, you must be somebody who believes that the earth is flat or you might be must be somebody who doesn't believe that, you know, wheels should be round or anything like that. Essentially, you're you're just you're a moron if you don't believe in cryptocurrency. And then there was the ads with Tom Brady. And then there was the ads with Matt Damon talking about, well, you know, people had to have the, these visions. And, you know, it was an inducement to get people to invest in cryptocurrency. And I remember saying at, at the time that you, you, the old adage about a fool and their money being parted, soon parted, that, that was the classic thing because cryptocurrency never made any sense to me. The, the, the whole idea didn't make any sense to me and i guess i was cringing because i could see people making investments not understanding exactly what this was because oh you know matt damon says this is good or madonna says it's great or tom brady says it's wonderful so here i'm going to take my life savings and i'm going to put it into cryptocurrency and of course we we all know what's happened with you know cryptocurrency and the these various exchanges that have just completely the bottom has fallen out on it and people are are losing money right and and left and yet those were where all the ads were i i also i mean i kind of cringe in some respects when i see again some of these celebrity endorsements that you have there you see tom Selleck, you know talking about reverse mortgages and before that it was the late wilford brimley you know these these and look reverse mortgages for example might be might be an appropriate thing for somebody but for most people, it, it's it's not a good deal. But but yet, you know, you see, okay, this is somebody that I trust that's on TV, and, and they're telling me, you know, that I should do this. You see the same thing every year at the end of the year when you have all these people touting Medicare Advantage plans. All these celebrities come out and say, hey, you want to do this Medicare Advantage plan? And I, I, as I've said before, I, I don't I, – I, you, you just got to be really careful. These are big decisions that people have to, to make. And maybe a Medicare Advantage plan as opposed to traditional Medicare, maybe that's right for you. But but just because Joe Namath is telling you it's right for you doesn't necessarily mean that you should believe that because, you know, once you go down a certain route, you can find that, oh, gee, there were all these things that, that Joe didn't tell me about. And I'm, I'm not saying don't get a Medicare Advantage plan. I, I know people who wouldn't touch them. I know people who absolutely love them. But it, it just... De- depends, but you've got these celebrity endorsers who induce people to make decisions. Now, look, I understand there's always been celebrity endorsers, people telling you, hey, buy this, buy that, or, or the other thing. But it's one thing to say, hey, this is, um, I, I don't know, I'm, I, this is uh, a particular celebrity says, hey, I, I really think you should buy this line of clothing, buy these shirts, or buy these shoes, they're, they're really good, or you know, buy this furniture, or whatever. Well, it, it's one thing to do that it's another thing when somebody tells you here invest take your life savings and invest in in this um because next thing you know your life savings could in fact be gone so i bring this up because there's a story in the wall street journal about how a number of celebrities who over the course of the last year have have endorsed 
these stuff like crypto, they're now the subject of lawsuits. Madonna. Uh, Madonna sang the praises of non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, depicting cartoon portraits of bored apes. Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady appeared in commercials endorsing the crypto exchange FTX, which collapsed suddenly in November. And Kim Kardashian gushed about Emacs tokens on Instagram. Now they and other celebrities are facing civil lawsuits from investors who suffered losses on virtual assets, as well as scrutiny by regulators for allegedly duping the investing public. The legal actions are now prompting some agents to caution their clients against financial endorsements. So they're kind of off to the races. But there's all these lawsuits saying, hey, if if Madonna tells you to get involved in, in this and, and you, based on her recommendation, get involved and it turns out to be a bad deal, you know, maybe Madonna should be liable for that. If Tom Brady says, hey, invest money, I, I love this cryptocurrency, I love this F, um, this FTX, you know, put put money into this and the thing collapses because it's essentially a giant Ponzi scheme, should Tom Brady be held accountable for that? There's a lawsuit that names Madonna and half a dozen other celebrities, accusing them of violating California state consumer protection statutes and federal security laws by inducing investors to buy a particular form of NFT at artificially inflated prices without disclosing they had been compensated for their promotions. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, you see an ad, see a Super Bowl ad, and Matt Damon is saying, you need to make this investment. You know, this is this is a great investment. This is the future. Larry David is saying, hey, you're a moron. If you don't do this, then you're 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 like the, the people who think that the earth is is flat. If you don't invest in this, Tom Brady is saying, hey, this is a great investment. Sign up for this FTX thing. So you see those ads. You go out. You make the investment. Madonna says, hey, this NFT is, is just the, the greatest thing in the world. You make the investment. The investment turns out to be essentially worthless or near worthless. Should those celebrities be held accountable? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Is it their fault that you essentially listened to them? And should they be liable for getting you into a bad deal? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Well, Jeff, you just read an ad for Built Right Furniture. Well, well yeah. Uh, but 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 here's the thing. First of all, I, I know the folks at Built Right. Been to Built Right on multiple occasions, like I say in the ads. I know family members who shopped there had a positive experience. But at the same time, okay, you, you go you go to Built Right, you look around, you don't see anything you want. Okay, that that's fine. These, the, the, these celebrities are telling people, take your life savings and, and pour it into this. This is how you're going to make a fortune. Well, that's is there a different is there a different standard for that? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Um, Jeff, some of these celebrities have built their fortunes as influencers. If that's their expertise, I believe they should be accountable for their recommendations. They are unscrupulous. Jeff, should I believe your promotions? Well, that's the point I'm, I'm, 
I'm making. I mean, it, it all kind of depends. And do you have to and should you be expected to disclose that? But still, at the same time, there's a difference between saying, hey, I like this particular cable company or whatever, or I like this restaurant or something. There's a difference in that. And then the, and you go there and you have a bad meal or whatever. OK, there's a difference between that. And here we're going to have somebody that invests their life savings in this giant, what it turns out to be a Ponzi scheme, the concept consequences are are different aren't they 855-616-1620 let's start with mike in illinois mike you're on wtmj good afternoon jeff how are you i'm good what do you think well the consequences certainly could be different but legally i don't know if there's much of a difference unless that the uh, spokesperson you know knowingly deceived the consumer or knew that was a bad product I'm sorry, Mike. Your cell phone cut out. Thanks. Well, I, I will. I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you where I come down on this. I, I guess. I, I think that first of all, if you are making major financial investment decisions because Matt Damon told you to do it, or because Larry David or Madonna or Tom Brady said to do this. If you are making major financial decisions because of that, candidly, I think it's kind of buyer beware. You you get you get what you deserve. And unless there's outright deception, I, I don't I don't think people should be held accountable for, for that. I mean I think when you see an ad Maybe you say, hey, that's an interesting product, but I don't think it gets you out of having to investigate the product yourself. That said, if you're if you're taking a reverse mortgage because Tom Selleck told you to do it, well, okay, I my advice would be I, I take a step back and I'd find somebody who knows your financial situation and I'd ask him about that. If you're thinking about making again a, a decision on what your health insurance is going to be in retirement because Joe Namath said, hey, this is a great product. My advice would be find somebody who knows your unique situation. But is Joe is Joe Namath liable because you might have taken his advice and it was a bad decision? I, I think I think not. I do think, though, that especially when it comes to your money and your health and whether or not, you know, you're going to stay in your home or whatever, what you need to do is you need to say, okay, gee, Tom Brady's made a lot of money, so he must know what he's talking about. Well, no, Tom Brady's getting paid to tell you to do this. You have an obligation, I think, to investigate and determine, you know, whether it's appropriate or not. Dave in Greenfield. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, no, they can't be held accountable, and I'll tell you why. Like I said, the fellow on the phone there. Um, when I was a young fella, I saw an advertisement for Jameson Irish whiskey, and so I, what did I do? I, I went out and got some of that, tried it out, and I was simple as a dog. Well, I can't blame Jameson Irish whiskey. I mean, that was my choice to go ahead and buy that. Right. Right. You know, and you can't and you can't and you can't bl- and you also can't blame whoever the spokesperson was who was saying, hey, I love to drink no. Jameson's Iris whiskey. It's not their fault. It's your fault because you either didn't you bought it and either didn't like it or you drank too much. Of Jameson it. might be good for someone else, but not for me. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I tried it. And it wasn't for me. But yeah. I can't no, blame thanks. it now. 
<laughs> no, thanks for call. I, I no, I agree. See, I, I I agree with you, and it's one of them, and, and it's it's a blurry line. I mean, some of them, some of the lawsuits are alleging that the the celebrity spokespeople should be required to, during the course of the ad, disclose that they're being paid for it. Well, I I guess I, I mean I assume. When I see Matt Damon or Madonna out there touting stuff, I assume that they're getting paid for it. I mean, you know, whenever whenever I turn on the TV or listen to the radio, and I mean, I assume that that's if it's in the course of advertising, I assume that there is some compensation that's being given to whoever is doing it. So I don't. And, and as to how much it is, I, I don't think that's necessarily anybody's business. But I do think it ends up being buyer beware. 855-616-1620. Jeff, we live in a blame culture. No one wants to take responsibility for themselves. Yeah, I, I mean, that's... And that's... I mean, I, I've been saying this for a year when it comes to cryptocurrency. It's been, okay, look, maybe there's people who've made money in this, but I, I didn't understand it. There's no way I would have invested a dime in it. Maybe that makes me, you know, like maybe that that makes me a flat earther or something like that. But at least I think right now that decision is looking pretty smart. But just because Matt Damon says, oh, you you should do this, that would not have motivated me. I think there had been a long conversation with the people that helped me with my money as to whether or not this was something that made sense. Jeff, celebrities should not be held responsible for whether or not a product does what it says it's going to do. Um, well, right. I, I think there, there's an element, unless there's, unless there's fraud involved. I mean, if you could show, for example, that Tom Brady, who was touting that this FTX, if you could show that he knew that this was this this kind of giant Ponzi scheme that was you know taking people's money and there really was no chance that they were going to get their dough back then it's a different story then you know then you're a conspirator to fraud but if you're just like one of these people that is approached hey the agent comes to you and says hey there's this uh, there's this cryptocurrency exchange and this is this really hot thing that's going on now and they're willing to pay you X amount of money to go on TV and, and do this ad. Are you willing to do it? Well, yeah. Now, Tom Brady looks bad. Madonna looks bad. Matt Damon looks bad. Larry David looks bad. And maybe it hurts their quote-unquote brand moving forward that they've associated with that. And that's that's something that personalities always have to take into account. It's not just, oh, I, I mean, it it happens occasionally over the you know all the years that I've been doing the radio show. Sometimes somebody will come to you and they'll say, like a salesperson will say, "Hey, are you interested in doing an advertisement for this or that or whatever?" And I will tell you, over the years, there have been times where I said, "I just don't think this is a good fit for a, a variety of of reasons." I, I there was there's two that come to mind. I don't think I necessarily need to mention them, but there were two that I just I did not feel comfortable with. If other people felt comfortable with them, that's fine. But it's I just didn't want my name associated with either one of the, these two particular things because I didn't feel comfortable with, with doing it. And if I didn't feel comfortable recommending it, I, I wasn't going to do this. Jeff, this is where the term I've got a bridge to sell you um, comes from Jeff, maybe they should make these financial ads require you to go through financial advisors like the drug ads that ask you to talk to your doctor about um, this. Um, well, there you go. Um, so that's that's kind of the, the question about it. Joe Willie can guarantee it. Well, okay, then 
Then what you do is you hold Joe Willie Namath accountable. Jeff, as P.T. Barnum said, there's a sucker born every minute. Jeff, if they knowingly understood it was a Ponzi scheme, then yes, they should be held accountable. But if they are just Hollywood spokespeople, then it's different. And if someone was so dumb to think that you're going to build a fortune like these people based on their recommendations, then someone else would just have gotten your money anyways. Um, yeah. I mean, no, there's no question about this as all, at all. And again, I just don't think I just don't think, absent evidence that there's fraud, I don't think that you can hold the celebrities liable. But it does mean, you, you, especially when it comes to big life things, I think you need to be really, really skeptical. And it's one thing when you see your favorite celebrity that says, I really like to drink Diet Coke and I drink Diet Coke. Well, okay, worst thing in the world is you buy a six-pack of Diet Coke and you try it and you don't like it. Much different than, hey, I'm putting all my money into FTX. Oh, gee, a month later, it's gone. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Uh, I, John McCure talked about this story yesterday on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. And it's, uh, I, I think it's interesting on so many levels. Let, let me kind of give you the, the background of this if you haven't seen it. Okay, um, over the weekend, there's a, a basketball tournament that's being held at at Germantown High School, and it's eight teams that are, are playing as part of this invitational. And Brookfield Central is facing Cedarburg. Um, Central is the, the favorite. Central is one of is, is a ranked team in the state, and Cedarburg would be the you know the upset candidates. So it's a very very close game. What happens is um, Cedarburg is winning by a point as the clock is running down. And a Brookfield Central basketball player gets ready to take a three-point shot, which would be at, at the buzzer. And if it, go, if it would go in, you know, Brookfield Central would win. And the Cedarburg defender runs into the Brookfield Central shooter and kind of knocks the ball away. There's no question about whether or not the contact was a foul. What is at issue, and it, it's very, very difficult if you're watching the, the replay of this, it's very, very difficult to tell whether the foul comes before the game ends or afterwards, right? So if, if he's fouled in the last second, well, then you get free throws, etc. If he's fouled after the game ends, if the shot hasn't gotten off in time, then, then it doesn't matter. So it's very, very close. And I will tell you just, I mean, looking at the film of this, it's, I, I had my impression when I saw it, but it's, it's difficult to figure out. So what happens is, because this is a, a really big deal, it's going to determine who wins the game, the officials decide that they are going to confer. And they're going to take a couple minutes to try to get this right. Now, this isn't like the, the NBA games and stuff like that where you've got New York and you've got all these different monitors. This is a high school basketball game, right? So the officials take a deep breath. They, they get together. They send, they're trying to send both sides, both teams, back to the sidelines so they can try to figure out who saw what and what do they think is the call. And the crowd starts booing the the officials crowd starts screaming at the officials while they're trying to get get it right at which point in time the public address announcer from germantown 
wades in. Here's what happens. I would like to take this opportunity to remind all fans, and I should have done this a lot earlier, shut up. The WIAA is always looking for officials, and since you do such a good job from the stands, get on the floor, wear a striped shirt, and do it yourselves. Okay, so he essentially tells the fans, you know, knock it off. Now, ultimately, the officials, if you're wondering how this turned out, the officials did decide that the Brookfield Central player was fouled um, before the game ended. So he gets three free throws, and then they called a technical foul on, on Cedarburg for some reason or another. The Brookfield Central player missed all four free throws. So ultimately, you know, Cedarburg wins anyways. But but the conversation here is, you know, normally public address announcers, they just they just keep it, on, I mean, they stay in their lane. Normally it's okay, there's a foul, whatever, they just describe it, basket by Wagner, whatever that's going to be. In this case, the public address announcer, you know, takes off, and, and goes off on the fans for their booing of the referees. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Old National Bank talk and text line. Here is my question. Do you believe that the Germantown public address announcer was out of line for telling the fans who are booing the uh, booing the referees for taking a minute to try to get it right. Do you believe he was out of line for telling them to shut up? And if they think they can do a better job, well, apply to the um, WIAA, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. I lumped this in the category of, well, sometimes the truth is an absolute defense and sometimes tough love is appropriate. Were you bothered by what the Germantown public address announcer did? We discuss in just a moment. I would like to take this opportunity to remind all fans, and I should have done this a lot earlier, shut up. The WIAA is always looking for officials, and since you do such a good job from the stands, get on the floor, wear a striped shirt, and do it yourselves. All right. That clip has gone viral. I hate that expression because it's a cliche, but it, but it's true. So I, I've got a couple texts from people who say, uh, who I, I'm always amazed at people who just go out of their way to kind of you know support bad behavior and justify it. A couple people saying, oh, he shouldn't have told people to shut up. That's that's just uh, offensive. How how dare he he do that? Here's some of the other ones, though. Jeff, some fans think they know more about the game than the officials and the coaches. Relax. As the WIAA says, let the players play, the coaches coach, and the officials in officiate. A dub, I'm a WIAA basketball official. I think the announcer was okay to say that. Jeff, the announcer was spot on. Parents of student athletes are out of control due to the shortage of umpires and the lack of parent volunteers. My high schooler would work literally games for quick cash. After endlessly being cursed at, heckled, and berated, we made him quit for fear of his safety. We made him quit for fear of his safety. Umpires and referees are largely doing this as a service to the community, not for the money, and they deserve to be treated humanely. Um, Jeff, the PA addresser was out of line. While spectator behavior can get out of hand, some cheering, booing, and yes, even heckling is okay. If it gets out of line, the uh, it's the athletic director or the site, site supervisor's job to control it. So in other words, the response is he should just stay in his lane. He, if if you hear the out of, the, the screaming and stuff like that, it's not the PA address announcer's responsibility to try to control the crowd. 
I, I see. I disagree with that. Jeff, I think there's a word for it. It's called sportsmanship. People should look it up. Jeff, the man is my hero. Jeff, I'm 100% on board with the public address announcer. Some of these parents put way too much stock in their children's athletic careers, not nearly as much in their academic careers. Many of them are not very knowledgeable about the sport either. Um, Let's see. Uh, Jeff, this is too funny. We need more announcers like this one. I think this is way past due. The WIAA has lost 30% of their officials in the last two-plus years. Jeff, I'm a 25-year WIAA official. I absolutely love what the courtside announcer said. Most people only complain and don't have the stones to officiate. Jeff, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Glad someone said how it is. I love the PA announcer. God bless him. Jeff, I'm okay with the announcer saying that. I coach wrestling for a Division One high school. Parents in the stands are awful. For our sport, there is a huge referee shortage because no one wants to deal with the parents and the fans. We have to put our foot down. Enough is enough. Jeff, I think he deserves a standing ovation for what he said. Hi, Jeff. I've been to many high school basketball games, and I have no problem with the announcer telling the crowd to shut up. The crowd noise can get crazy at those games. Um, Jeff, prevent the fire from starting, not put the fire out. He told us he should have said something earlier in a better tone. Oh, okay. Well, look, I, I guess I, I think it's interesting that th- these people who are, first of all, if I were in the stands and I heard the announcer say this, would I take it personally? Would I be offended? Would I be insulted? No. What would my reaction be? It would be, yeah, you know, let these guys do their their job. And if they're doing a lousy job of it, and officials make mistakes all the time, then what you do is you let the coach file a complaint or, or whatever. But they're there doing their job. They're trying to get it right. And having a bunch of leather-lunged fans screaming at them and booing them is not constructive for anything. Plus, this is high school sports, right? It isn't. This is not the be-all, end-all. We're not talking about a final call in, in the Super Bowl. We're not even talking about college basketball. You know, we're talking about high school sports, and where is the whole concept of, of student-athletes that comes in? Dan in Racine. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Appreciate your show. Thank you, sir. Um, so, yeah, uh, I am actually uh, the uh, PA announcer for Racine Case High School. I do the basketball and I do the football. And uh, just okay. this past week, I was uh, kind of talking to the scorekeeper, and we were kind of joking that every single call is wrong, and we have so many experts behind us, and it's just, it just it gets old. And, you know, there's I know a lot of the refs because I ref soccer myself, and a lot of People have gotten out of refing because it's just not worth it to get screamed at for 60 minutes, an hour and a half. Um, and ha- half the parents don't even know the rules. So, um, well, well, Dan, so let me, let me, me ask I, you this. So, yeah, let me, but let me ask you this. Um, is it, and I'm sure, I'm not disagreeing with the word you said, but is it, is it the PA announcer's job to essentially correct the the fans to tell them hey knock it off do you, do you think or 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 is that a different lane um you, that's a tough call i i think maybe he could have avoided saying shut up um could have said hey you know we'd really appreciate it if you enjoy the game in a respectful positive 
manner. Because yeah. there's a, there actually is a is a um a, like a script that I read before each game. You know, the WIA requires good sportsmanship at education-based uh, events. Right. Uh, please enjoy the game in a respectful and positive manner. So he maybe could have reiterated that, hey, let's let's keep it positive. Right. Let's let the refs do their job. In fact, some high schools have uh, a sign where it says, uh, let the players play, let the refs ref, and let the parents and choose. So kind of like stay yeah. in your lane, if you will. But um, And, I again, I used to have a colleague in, in, in the soccer refing who he would actually have WIA cards uh, printed like business cards, and whenever a parent was like, "Oh my gosh," he's like, "Hey, we need experts like you. Here's a card. Give them a call. Get <laughs> signed up." Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. They, they, so. Thanks for the call, Dan. I appreciate. No, and I, I guess I mean I I understand that the stay in your lane argument, but I, I'm I appreciate the sentiment, and and I don't. I mean, yeah, he, he says shut up. Well, I mean, my guess is that there were some real leather lungs that were out there, and if if that's I mean, Wagner's first rule of life is life is tough, get a helmet. And if you're one of the people that's in the stands and you are so offended that the public address announcer has told you to shut up, well, I, I think, you know, maybe maybe you are a little bit too sensitive about it. And my guess is if anybody would be offended about it, they were probably the largest people that were screaming and yelling, etc. But I, I understand that feeling. I get I get texts on a daily basis with everybody telling me, ah, this is how you should do your job. And, you know, you you should do this or you should do that or don't do that or move on or you stay too long on that topic or you need to move to the next topic. You know, you, you, you move too soon. It's everybody. Everybody knows how to do everybody else's job and doesn't have any problem sharing it. But this particular case, I've got no problem with the PA announcer. Let's talk to Roger in Waukesha. Roger, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm a former uh, youth sports coach, and I have to tell you, refs are important because we had situations in baseball where refs didn't show up. We didn't play the game. You've got to support those refs so they keep doing what they're supposed to do. Somebody's going to get a bad call here, here and there. But parents, understand, without those refs refing and, and controlling the game, your game isn't played. And I think that's what's important for the children. Right. So you, you just think that the the announcer was being proactive in this case, trying to defuse the situation and just telling people, knock it off and let everybody do their job. Exactly. Exactly. The, the announcer has a right to say that from the standpoint of that is what is right. Well, let's enjoy the game, parents. Let's let the reps rep and the kids play. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Roger. And, and by the way, the, the aside of this, and, and again, I. I, I just I, I looked at the film of this a couple times. I think the referees actually got it right. I, I mean, I, I I do. I mean, I as I watched the film, I thought the Brookfield Central player was fouled before the clock expired, and I thought he should have gotten the free throws. I don't know about the technical thing, but he missed all the free throws. But but they they actually they they got it right by taking a minute and saying, hey, let's. Let's take a deep breath here. Let's figure out what the right result is. And, and they got it right. There's so many times that, you know, professional referees, even with all the replays and stuff, they, they end up they end up getting it wrong. And I understand it, it's a tough job, and I'm not beating up on referees. But it is true that for, especially on the high school level, the, these leather lungs and everybody that thinks that their kid is going to be the next LeBron James and stuff like that, the, the truth of the matter is you, you've got to kind of dial it back. Um, Jeff, if the big mouths in the stands can dish it out, they should be able to take it. Yes, yeah, I guess that's that's kind of it. If people are offended because he told people who were screaming at the refs to shut up, well, okay, if you're screaming at the ref, 
you're right. You should be able you you should be able to handle public address announcer telling you to knock it off and if you think that you can do something, do it. Jeff, to me this is a responsible adult. He was seeing something that's wrong. He was in his lane. He acted to do the right thing. Um, yeah, I think there's an example of that. Now, somebody says, well, the responsibility for this should fall to the administration and the home school. Now, in this case, it was a tournament, so Germantown wasn't even playing in this particular game. It was involved two visiting schools. And again, I, I don't know what the circumstances, but obviously it had gone on for a while. Obviously it was bad, and I guess I just look at this and say, all right, was it a little bit out of his lane? Maybe it was a little bit out of his lane, but was it out of order? No way. And my guess is this particular public address announcer, whose name I don't think has been public yet, I think 95% of the people would view him as a hero, and maybe 98% of the people who are involved in youth sports would view him as a hero. So very glad to have you with us. You know, it is just so interesting. I, I just I, I get a ton of emails and stuff, and it, it is amazing how creative some of these th- th- this malware and stuff is, and, and how deceptive it is. I was just getting something that it was made to look like it was coming from like our human resources department, and I'm looking at it thinking, nah, I'm not clicking on this. This is this is not our human resources department sending this to me. This one just kind of looks fishy. We're just going to delete this one, and um, if there's a problem, somebody else can get back to me. But you really have to be careful. There's so many people out there. Um, It was a big day for the Department of Public Works over the weekend. More than 2,000 citations issued during the snow emergency in the city of Milwaukee um, after eight inches of snow fell over the weekend. Um, This is the first time a snow emergency had been called in two winters. And I'm getting some texts from people who have horror stories about getting their tickets and stuff. Bottom line is, I, I'm sorry, you're talking to the wrong guy because I, I think I'm very, when when it snows, and I do think, I think around here we do a great job of of dealing with snow. I think we do snow well. But the problem is, especially in the cities, you know, if there's cars on the street, the plows can't get through. So, you know, if you if you're parking on the street, you have an obligation to know what those rules are and to make sure that those your your car is is where it is supposed to be so the plows could get through. Otherwise, it becomes just a complete and total mess. So, uh, there maybe there's some people who got tickets that didn't deserve them, but in general, I'm not sympathetic to this. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Let us completely switch gears and focus on the war in Ukraine for a, a segment or two. Um, one of the, the breakthroughs last week was the Biden administration signed off on providing Ukraine with a a number of advanced battle tanks. Um, and, And Germany is going to do the same thing. The idea being that Russia is planning, they anticipate that there's going to be in the spring, there's going to be new advance. And these these tanks will give the Ukrainians an ability to defend themselves against the Russian advance. And they're far superior um, to the armaments that Ukraine has now. Well, 
no surprise that no sooner did the U.S. make the commitment and Germany make the commitment to get the tanks, um, Ukraine is back asking for more. What they want now is they want the U.S. and other NATO allies to supply them with these F-16 fighter jets. Now, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds with regard to capabilities, but right now, Ukraine and Russia, they currently use what they call these MiG-29 fighter jets and, and various models of that. And these these planes that both Ukraine and Russia use are described as being extremely inferior to advanced Western technology. So it would be a big deal were the U.S. to supply the, these fighter jets to Ukraine. And it would give Ukraine, at least the estimates are, an, an advantage um, in the air over Ukraine. The concern, there's a couple concerns with this. First of all, the issue is, is, is training. It's going to take months to get the Ukraine pilots up to speed to learn how to, to fly the, these F-16 fighter jets. The larger question, though, is what they call escalation management. Providing these advanced tanks to Ukraine was clearly something that had the potential to escalate this crisis. And the problem NATO has had is, on the one hand, you, you want to you help Ukraine defend itself. You want to see Russia pushed back. But at the same time, you don't want to push Putin so far that he's lobbying you know, nuclear weapons at, at Berlin or something like that. So there is this balancing act. The tanks were clearly an escalation. But it was something that I think you could make a strong argument for that you needed to do that to put Ukraine in a position to defend themselves. These fighter jets are something different because these fighter jets would give Ukraine probably air superiority over over what Russia has. They're superior planes, but it's also a situation where how do you necessarily control that once Ukraine gets them, they're going to use them in a purely defensive type of capacity. And what would Russia do if now all of a sudden these advanced weapon systems, including the, the fighter jets, are, are coming in? So at this point in time, the Ukrainians, and I, I understand why the Ukrainian president, they want everything they can possibly get. I, I get it. And so that's why as soon as they got the tanks, the next thing was, oh, where are the jets? Joe Biden yesterday when asked a question about, you know, are you going to give him the jets? He just, it was a definitive no. I mean, no, no explanation, just, just no. Um, we're, we're not, that we're not giving them to them. France, on the other hand, is saying that, well, you know, we think that, you know, everything is on the table. The Dutch prime minister says, well, in our efforts to help Ukraine, there, there's no taboos, but acknowledge that sending jets would be a very, very big next step and there's no question at all that providing fighter jets the, these these advanced fighter jets that that's a major that is a major escalation but it does raise the question i guess of can you be a little bit pregnant i mean you know the us and nato have been providing ukraine with all these different weapons to repel russia so i guess the question is since we've been providing them tanks and we're providing them the missiles and things like that is it really that big another step to provide them with the fighter jets our number 855-616-1620 that's the old national bank talk and text line now you can mark the tape on this i actually think joe biden has done 
a pretty good job of managing the crisis in the Ukraine. I think he's been smart not to necessarily put himself out front of, of NATO, and pretty much everything's done with, with NATO's blessing, although, I mean, I'm sure the U.S. has been working you know, behind the scenes to try to accomplish stuff. I think that Biden is also very, very wise, mark the tape on that, to not, not go out of his way to provoke Russia, because you want to see this continue to be confined to Ukraine. You want an end of it. There's no question about it. We, we want this. It's over. It is a humanitarian crisis of enormous levels. You don't want to see World War III start, though, so you've got to be very, very careful. So at least at this point, I think, I think Biden is right to say at this point in time, we're not giving you the fighter jets. What do you think? 855-616-1620. Do you buy the argument of in for a penny, in for a pound? What the heck? You know, he's already done this. Uh, we're, we're providing with everything else. Why not give him the jets? Or does it make sense to say at this point, no, we're not We're not going to escalate this right now? 855-616-1620. I err on the side of caution. But I understand that people might disagree. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. (laughs) Paul McCartney and Wing. Yeah, Jet. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. If you're just tuning in, we're talking international for a minute. Uh, On uh, immediately following the announcement that Germany and the United States, we're going to provide these Abrams tanks to Ukraine in anticipation of a Russian advances in the spring and enhance their capability to fight off the advance. The Ukrainian president is very public. He said, okay, that's great. Thank you. Now I want the F-16 fighter jets. The F-16 fighter jets are far superior weaponry to what the Soviet planes are and what the Ukraine planes are, and theoretically could be a a game changer. So far, Joe Biden is saying no, although France is perhaps considering this. The the argument is that this would be a major escalation, would clearly be provoking Putin to perhaps expand the war beyond where it is in Ukraine now, and, and other considerations as well. I understand why Ukraine is asking for it. At this point in time, though, I I think Biden is right to to hold off. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. Jeff, if Russia wins in Ukraine, they will target the smaller former Soviet countries, which will be less resistance than Ukraine can put up. It is better to stop Russia now by providing tanks and fighter jets to protect Ukraine and all other countries that border on Russia. Here is... Here is the concern. The concern is that once Ukraine gets them, they won't necessarily limit the use of the jets to protecting, you know, Ukraine, but rather will turn them into offensive weapons, which then has a risk of of greatly escalating this. Now, the United States and NATO has been providing Ukraine with various air defense systems, but, you know, giving them these fighter jets is it's a, a major step further. Um, with this, um, Jeff, why don't we just send Ukraine a nuclear bomb? Um, uh, well, okay. Well, I, it, obviously there's sarcasm that's there. Jeff, I totally disagree. The way we've just been slow walking equipment is the reason Russia invaded in the first place. We just prolong the conflict and more people die on both sides. Um, 
give them what they need to win. Putin has been using everything short of nukes. Okay, well, the, the problem is if you give them stuff that is going to escalate and let's say they decide that they're going to use these fighter jets and they're going to they're going to start attacking sites in Russia what what is going to happen then um is it a situation where uh Putin then is going to lob some nukes into Berlin or something like that and that's 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 the um balancing act jeff as far as i'm concerned i think this is the first thing that the president has done right uh, Jeff, holy smokes, I finally agree with the president. Jeff, my concern is I don't want Russia to get their hands on one of those things and get some of our advanced technology before we ever have a conflict with them ourselves. If Russia were to get that technology that's more advanced, it's not de- definitely not good in the interest of our country. Jeff, why is this news? Shouldn't it be some kind of secret? Well, it's news because... Ukraine and the Ukrainian president has been very public about this. He's trying to use his bully pulpit to, and I don't fault him, I understand, they're in a war. They want all the stuff that they can possibly get. He's trying to use his bully pulpit to pressure the West, whether it's France or Germany or Great Britain or the United States or the Netherlands or wherever. He's trying to use his bully pulpit to put pressure on on these countries to give him everything he wants, in this case, including like the, these advanced capability aircraft. So that's why it's public. It's gone public because he's trying to put public pressure on. I think it's the question becomes, you know, how what is the appropriate response that the United States has? And at this point in time, look, you just got to be honest, giving them these F-16 fighter jets is going to be a major escalation of this and the question is what does putin do after this happens does that then widen the war beyond the parameters of ukraine and by the way this is a war that russia is losing i think the longer this goes on the worse it becomes for russia so do you want to escalate do you want to give putin an excuse like i say to start lobbing nukes around gabriel in waukesha gabriel you're on wtmj hey how are you hey Good. What do you think? Complicated issue, but what do you think? Absolutely. It's a very complicated issue, but my opinion personally is Ukraine is not a direct member of NATO, and nope. I don't believe that we should be pumping our resources into uh, a country that isn't directly... They're, they're partners of NATO, but they're not members of NATO. There's a big difference. I, I personally think that we should be staying out of this fight. If we want to be helping them, we should just get them involved in NATO, make them members of NATO, and then take the fight to Russia. We're like, I, I know that that would be catastrophic. Tons of people would die. But the thing is, like you said, I agree with you in the sense of sending jets and stuff like that. We have very high, fifth-gen, high-tech warcraft. And yeah. if Russia gets their hands on it, it's, it's going to look, it's going to be very bad for our country because they're going to use it against us. You know, us helping Ukraine and giving them all the resources, that's pissing Russia off already. So I, I think that this is more a Ukraine. I think it's a Ukraine and Russia issue. I don't think we should be involved. If there's other countries that decide differently, great. But I don't think America should be or the United States should be involved in this. Gabriel, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I guess I, 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 I think I think we have we have an interest, I, I think, because the problem is you, you have to you have to kind of think past this. OK, if 
if Russia were have been able to take over Ukraine, would would Putin have stopped at Ukraine or would the next step have been, all right, now we're going after Poland or we're going after a country that is a NATO country, and then you, you are looking at, at World War Three. So if you can stop them in Ukraine, and, and by the way, the effort so far has been incredibly successful. People thought that Putin was just going to be able to steamroller in. They thought this would be a weak war. Well, now we're, we're coming up on, on a year. It's bogged down. This has been a huge drag on the Russian economy. They've had to call up all these troops that are getting uh, you know, killed, which is unfortunate. Putin's facing all sorts of problems at, at home. And I think by any objective standards, Ukraine is, if nothing else, through a policy of attrition, Ukraine, this little country, is standing up to Mother Russia, and, and they're winning. And I think... It is in the interest of the world to support those efforts. But it's a fine line between supporting the efforts and actually going all in and saying, okay, you know, we're going to get involved directly in the war ourselves. And I guess my concern is at this point in time, if you start providing fighter jets to them, you're taking one big step closer to saying, okay, we're we're all in. And I certainly... I certainly don't think you should do that unless NATO as a as a group as a as an entity agrees that that is the course. This is certainly not something the United States should be doing on its own. Period. And at this point in time, I, I think I think the wait and see attitude is the best because once you get those jets, I mean, let's face it. If I'm the Ukrainian president, I, I get these F-16 fighter jets, and Russia's launched an offensive. I think I, I, the once your pilots are trained, I think there's a very good chance you say, well, okay, why why aren't we going to start taking this fight to Russia? Russia's been blowing up our cities. Let's use these capabilities we now have, and let's let's kind of return this, and then you're off to the races. Hey, Wisconsin, it might be cold out right now, but soon it's going to be warming up. We are at the end of January, by the way. Again, I'm, I'm going to be Susie Mary Sunshine here. We've now made it through January. The daylight hours are increasing, meaning it's going to stay light longer. February is a short month, and then you get into March. You're talking spring. At the end of March, you've got opening day of baseball. Then April. Look, I understand there's going to be more snow and there's going to be more cold on the way. But as the calendar turns and we get closer to spring, all right, the duration of the cold snaps and stuff goes down. So let's be optimistic about this. In any event, it might be cold out now, but soon it's going to be warming up and you'll need to get your home ready. That's why I'm here for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. And this week, we're brought to you by the great people, the superheroes at Current Electric. To schedule a visit with them, you can call at 262-786-5885. That's 262-786-5885. Or go to their website, callcurrent.com. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on WTMJ. All right, I got to admit, I'm 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 bummed out about this. It, you know, we, you have to understand, and I always explain this to people that just because something's been around for a long time doesn't mean it's always going to be around. And sometimes we we take things for granted. You you saw that last year. Everybody always thought Festa Italiana, which a huge lakefront festival on the the Summerfest grounds and stuff. Well, I mean, Festa Italiana, at least as as most of us grew up with it, disappeared last year. I mean, I know they they did a a small version on the grounds of the Italian Community Center, but it was nothing like what it was. 
And, and and that's inevitable. I'm not criticizing the organizers or anything. It's just times change, people change, you have trouble finding volunteers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Latest example of that is up in Port Washington, Fish Day. Okay, Fish Day has been around for over 50 years. Um, typically, it was held on the third Saturday of July every year. And if you've ever been up to Fish Days, it, it's a it's a giant party. And, you know, they've got bands and they've got a parade and they've had all sorts of stands where you could buy, wait for it, you know, fish fries and things like that. Well, um, fish fry was canceled for the last two years due to the pandemic. It, it was brought back last year smaller scale, shortened parades, smaller grounds, and now they're announcing that um, this year Fish Day is canceled um, and the future is uncertain. The, the president says, we're, we're, not, we're not broke, we're, we're not folding, but um, what we're going to do is we're going to take at least a year off, increased costs, lack of volunteers, all sorts of concerns. We don't have the manpower to do the funding. We've got to step back and... So who knows? But the the reality is once these things go away, it's rare that they end up coming back. Now, I don't know that this is the obituary for Fish Day, but, you know, once once you take time off, it's tough to see them come back. And for people who made this a ritual for decades and decades, it's just I mean, it's it's inevitable. Stuff happens. Times change. But Fish Day going away. And I know that's going to bum out a lot of people. Okay, there you have it, Laverne and Shirley, one of, uh, for a couple years, in the mid-70s, this was one of the top-ranked shows on TV. Now, why are we talking about Laverne and Shirley? Well, you've probably seen the news. Cindy Williams, who was the Shirley in the Laverne and Shirley, um, she passed away at the age of 75. Um, uh, Penny Williams um, who was the other star? She passed away a couple years ago, also at the age of 75. Cindy Williams, uh, interesting career. She was a California Valley girl, and what happened is she got involved in acting, did a whole bunch of commercials, and then what happened is she got cast in what I think is one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time American Graffiti. She played the. The, the girlfriend of, of Ron Howard, uh, the, the character there. So she had a supporting actress role there. The same year she did American Graffiti, which was 73. Um, she also did Francis Ford Coppola's movie The Conversation with uh, Gene Hackman. And both of them were up for Best Picture Awards. So, you know, big, big deal. Started off there. Um, she then... She actually, interestingly enough, uh, Cindy Williams, she was she was um, auditioning for the, the Star Wars role, the Princess Leia. She almost got that. It ended up going to um, Carrie Fisher. But anyhow, what happened was Happy Days, which was this, you know, set in Milwaukee, became this huge hit in and of itself. Um, they were looking to do a Happy Days episode where Fonzie and Richie, the Henry Winkler and the Ron Howard characters, they met two girls from the quote-unquote other side of the tracks. So they recruited um, Penny Marshall 
and Cindy Williams. And Cindy Williams, of course, she kind of reprised her role. She was Ron Howard's girlfriend in American Graffiti. Well, they came back, and, and that's where Laverne and Shirley were introduced on this Happy Days thing. And they were such a success, they ended up becoming a, a spinoff. It was set in Milwaukee. They worked at the fictitious Schatz Brewery. And if you look at the opening sequence, that that's the old Schlitz Brewery. And at the time, it was brewing. Schlitz wasn't brewing then, but they were brewing a lakefront beer at the time. So that that's the old Schlitz bottling line that, that they're there for. And it became, you know, this was a story about these two working class women, you know, working at the, the brewery and, you know, their hopes and their dreams and stuff. And the show just became a huge hit. Uh, she, Cindy Williams, stayed with it for seven years. She um, left, the, the show ran eight years. She left the, the the final year. She got into a dispute with the producer. She was pregnant and they, you know, regardless. And she really, I mean, she did some TV and stuff after that, but, but her, her career essentially capped out at, at Laverne and Shirley. But at the same time, you know, she was, that, that was her character. She was always going to be, you know, Shirley Feeney, and she was forever kind of known at that, at that. And she's now, again, passed away at the age of 75. That show, uh, as I said, like in the lead-in, um, I mean, I remember watching it as a, as a kid, and the show was, in many respects, it was, it was dumb. There's just no, no two ways around it. It was kind of dumb, but at the same time, it was also really, really sweet. And it rocketed to the top of the ratings for for several years. I would have never guessed that that show would have been able to run and sustain itself for seven or eight years, including being as white hot as it was for a couple of years. But but it did. So to in recognition of the passing of, of Cindy Williams, who, you know, like I say, she was she was involved American Graffiti, The Conversation and then Laverne and Shirley. She was just a white hot actress, you know, as far as parts that she got in TV and in movies during the, the 70s for, for certain. Um, I, I thought I want to I want to talk a little bit about the show Laverne and Shirley, which was, of course, set in Milwaukee. There was a t- point in time where they would do like Laverne and Shirley tours and things like that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. What about that show made it work? For those of you who were fans and remember it when it was first on the air or, or maybe you stumbled into it on, on reruns, what what was it that made it work? Why was that so successful? Why did you enjoy it? Was it the characters? Was it the performers? Was it the fact that it was set in Milwaukee so all of us who grew up around here could relate to it? Why why did that show work as well as it did? I've got a couple theories, but I'm I'm curious. Want to do at least one segment given the passing of Cindy Williams way too soon at the age of 75. 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. My tribute to Laverne and Shirley. Why did the show work as well as it did? And if you were a fan, I'd love to talk to you. That's 
The Killers doing a cover of the Laverne and Shirley theme song. Cindy Williams, who, of course, played Shirley, passed away over the weekend at the age of 75. She was she was to the mid-70s what Dawn Wells was. Dawn Wells was, was Mary Ann on Gilligan's Island. And, and Cindy Williams, you know, with a role in... Um, with with the role in Laverne and Shirley and the conversation in American Graffiti, she was kind of like Mary Ann for for the seventies. Um, I, I I love that show. Somebody said it, with her passing, is there anybody left of the original cast? And that would be I, I think Michael McKean. He um he with Lenny and and Swiggy. He played Lenny, and uh, he of course was just in the the Better Call Saul sequel and things like that. Um, he's still alive. Otherwise, I think David Lander. He was Squiggy. He passed away a couple years back uh the guy that played carmine eddie mecca he passed away at the age of 69 so i i think uh, i think michael mckean might be might be it but i mean this was a show that just worked on so many different levels todd in sherman park todd you're on wtmj hello hey jeff thanks for taking my call i love sure. the show i love the characters i think the writing was amazing but what kept me coming back um, as a child and then a teenage years, and even now, it's just so relatable. Everybody knows two guys named Lenny and Squeaky. They don't, <laughs> that's not their names, but they're the same characters. Right. You right. know, and Carmine was a great character. They were all great. It was just a fantastic show. Yeah, it were. I mean, th- thanks for the call, Todd. I appreciate it. I mean, look, and I, look, this wasn't. I'm not going to make the argument that this was like great TV to the extent that, oh, you sit there and say, is is this going to change the world and things like that? No. But in in the era of the 70s sitcoms, it was it was fun, kind of mindless entertainment. You know, Laverne and Shirley in the 70s were what Lucy and Ethel were in the 50s. It, It really was. That's. I mean, I think that's kind of the best comparison for people like my producer, Charlie, who've never seen the show. That if, if you think about I Love Lucy and you had, you know, Lucy, Lucille Ball and Vivian Vance and, and the, the, the bonds that they had, this was, this was kind of that set in the 1970s. And it just, it worked on, on so many levels. Paul in Kenosha. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Long-time listener, yes, first-time caller. Okay. Uh, all right. This made your call. What do you like? What do you think? Laverne and Shirley may have saved my life because back in 1989, I was traveling through Nicaragua. I'm not sure if you know where that is, but I I was in the capital. Okay. I was in the capital. I was in Managua, uh, which at that time was patrolled by Sandinista soldiers who liked hassling people for no other reason than they didn't have anything else to do. And I had two soldiers walk up to me. One of them pointed a rifle at my face. The other one asked me who I was and what I was doing there. I told them I was uh, from the United States and I was a tourist. He wanted to see my passport. I handed him my passport. Uh, He looks at my passport and he kind of looks at me and I can tell he's very skeptical. He says, where are you from? And I looked at him and I said, I'm from Milwaukee. Now, I said this in Spanish. But he right. looks at my passport and he says back to me in English, he says, Milwaukee? And I said, yes. And he gets this big smile on his face and he says, happy days? And I said, <laughs> yes, that's where they make happy days. And then he said, Laverne and Shirley? He's saying this in English. And I said, yes, that's where Laverne and Shirley live. And he goes, Fonzie? <laughs> and he's getting more and more excited 
keep in mind, his buddy is still pointing the rifle at my face. He's getting more and more excited. And then he does, you know how Fonzie, Henry Winkler used to do the thing where he put his thumbs up in the air and he would go, hey. Then the guy does, he does an impersonation of Fonzie with the thumbs in the A. And then, hang on, this is the cherry on the Sunday. He looks at me, he goes, now keep in mind, he doesn't really pronounce this correctly. He goes, Shlemiel, Shlemazel, (laughs) Hassan Pfeffer Incorporated. (laughs) And And he gives me back my passport and they let me go. Well, I... Paul, thank you for the call. Thank you for listening. And and I guess, you know, now I, I'm not sure that anybody, you are probably the only person in the world who can ever say that Laverne and Shirley saved your life. But you know what? I get it. It, it was one of those kind of timeless things. And I remember all that stuff. Jeff, Laverne and Shirley, very similar to two broke girls. Jeff, this was the, that was, I think it was the dumbest show ever. I couldn't stand it. Well, I, I get it. Um, you know, there you, there you go. Um, let's see, Jeff. It reminded me of Lucy. Yeah, it was. It was like Lucy and Ethel. That's what they were. Jeff, Laverne and Shirley were on Happy Days a few times also. I think they were just on that one time. That was the, um, that was the situation that was there. That was kind of the spinoff. Jeff, I remember Lenny and Squeaky. One episode, they were on a game show. They could risk it all and win a washer dryer or walk away with a salami. Next shot, they were sitting on the appliances eating the salami. Well, you got understand that um uh let's see jeff the 50s were particularly nostalgic to the early and mid 1970s especially after the vietnam war people seemed to want to go back to that simpler time no there's no question about it there was all and you know that's a very very good point i mean laverne and shirley comes out right after the country had gone through the vietnam war You'd gone through Watergate, um, so I mean Nixon resigns in August of '74. So you're you're talking about I think people, you, you would turn on the nightly news and and all you would see is conflict. And I think people just wanted some of this good wholesome entertainment and you just kind of take a deep breath and say okay this is just something this is something different jeff i love that they weren't perfect i could relate to them thank you jeff i cannot forget lenny and swiggy i think one of the reasons it was so popular is it was the entire cast of characters from laverne and shirley to laverne's dad and laverne's dancing boyfriend that would be carmine even laverne's hot-headed father see people people remember them um jeff the chapters were also unique by themselves who didn't love the Fonz or lenny and squiggy no there's no question about it jeff i absolutely loved the opening theme jeff hearing the theme song from laverne and shirley gave me an idea for your pop culture friday topic well i mean i think about that jeff squiggy deserved an emmy every year and his own spin-off show no question about it, it it's just it, it was one of those things. If you if you haven't seen it, and I don't know that they still have it in reruns or anything, but I'm sure you can find it on YouTube or on one of the streaming services. And, and I understand it's kind of a time capsule from the past. And I, I admit that if you go back and you look at it, you might think it's dated. You might think it's a little dumb. But you've got to remember the time period. And there, there's no question about it. Penny Williams, and, uh, Cindy Williams and Penny Marshall were just perfect in it. A little bit of trivia. Uh, Penny Marshall, who played Laverne, her um her brother was the producer Gary Marshall who did Happy Days and did Laverne and Shirley and in the beginning she was married to Rob Reiner well Rob Reiner of course 
Um, he played Carl Reiner's son. Rob Reiner played uh, the the son-in-law for Archie Bunker, uh, Mike Stivic. I'm, I'm, I don't know why I remember that stuff, but yeah, Mike Stivic on All in the Family. So they, they were kind of like power couples of, of 70s TV and things like that. But it was just a great show. And I always thought Cindy Williams was a much underrated actress. Okay, here's my favorite text of the day. Just came in. Jeff, I love the show. Your show is too short. Obviously, I'm a big fan. Can't you do like 11 to 4? Well, the answer is... No, because at 3 o'clock, we've got Wisconsin's afternoon news starting.